Well, let's go in our Bibles. I want you to come with me into the book of Psalms, Psalm number 76. In some ways, the days in which we live now resemble the days before the American Revolution and also in some ways resemble the days before the American Civil War. I want you to listen very carefully today to the things that are going to be said and the things that I have to read to you. But pay particular attention as we go through Psalm 76, just verse 8, 9, and 10, the 10th verse. It is very profound. Psalm 76, verse 8, Thou, even thou, art to be feared, and who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Thou didst cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment, to save all the meek of the earth. Selah. Then in the 10th verse, there's a profoundness here. When God's word says, Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. I want you to notice, if you're not catching it, the profundity of that statement, that 10th verse. The wrath of man, which the Bible says doesn't work the righteousness of God. But surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. We almost exclusively think of praise with song and singing by people who profess to know Christ, profess to know God. But the scriptures go much further than that. The snow, it says in Psalms, praises him and so many other things. But here it says the wrath of man will in the end be glorifying God. And the rest, you're going to restrain it. This text was used on May the 17th in 1776 by a preacher by the name of John Witherspoon, whose name I make assumption that you're not familiar with. But he's one of our founding fathers. He was a Scottish minister, immigrant from Scotland. And he came over here, and in the course of time, he became the head of what was then the College of New Jersey, eventually became Princeton. Keep in mind, by the way, that every Ivy League school except one was started by Christian ministries, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, and so on. Every one of them except one. All of them started by churches, started by Christian people like yourself. Of course, things have changed, sadly. John Witherspoon preached a message on May the 17th, 1776, just a few weeks, really, before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And the title of his message from this text here in Psalm 7610 was titled, The Dominion of Providence Over the Passions of Men. Now, just from the title alone, you can get the gist of what he was trying to convey. Something that he said in that message, that sermon, again, just a few weeks before the signing of the Declaration of Independence, is worthy of note. He implored his hearers, it was church, to not only think about eternity now, we have to start to think about temporary or temporal things, mainly politics, morality, of course. He joined together for the very first time, and he mentions that, I'm going to read it to you, just a portion, that for the first time in his pulpit, he was going to mention politics, which to the uninitiated in this country who haven't really done their research, or worse, those who have done their research and are canceling our history or attempting to cancel it. These preachers knew that the land that God had brought them to, America, was a land where they could freely worship Christ. And if that land went into dissolution, then their freedom to worship Christ would go with it as well. A lesson we are learning right at the moment. I say we're learning it. 
It grieves my heart to see how many people are simply not getting it, in my opinion. Anyway, in his message, John Witherspoon, who, as the president of Princeton, turned out numerous, well, obviously clergymen, even though he converted Princeton into more of a college that could be of good service to its country. Princeton was designed to turn out clergymen, as was Harvard and Yale. In his message, he stated this, If your cause is just, remember, we're just weeks away from the Declaration of Independence, and Americans already in arms. If your cause is just, you may look with confidence to the Lord and entreat him to plead it as his own, his cause. You are all my witnesses that this is the first time in my introducing any political subject into the pulpit. Up to this point, he didn't have much of a regard of politics, but now he began to see, as many founders did, preachers, I meant, the necessity to start combining their politics with their beliefs in Christ. He went on to say this, At this season, however, it is not only lawful but necessary, and I willingly embrace the opportunity of declaring my opinion without any hesitation that the cause in which America is now in arms is the cause of justice, of liberty, and of human nature. It has been said that this sermon here was published not without controversy, was one of the key elements in the signing of the Declaration of Independence. You could look it up online and read it for yourself. The dominion of providence over the passions of men. America was already in arms, and here comes a Scottish minister who preaches this sermon, which it is generally agreed, pushed along the signing of the Declaration of Independence, of which he was one of the signatories. There was at least four clergymen, active or not any longer active, is something people debate about. But he was active, and he's one of the men that signed the Declaration of Independence. I want you to know that of the 56 men that signed the Declaration of Independence, every single one belonged to some church. One was a Roman Catholic, two were Universalists, a couple of Quakers, but most belonged to some Protestant denomination. Every one. And whether the clergymen were active or former, there was at least four. And so many of these men, the great majority, were educated by clergymen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the most notable students of John Witherspoon was James Madison. And James Madison was so affected by him at Princeton that he later studied with him in private, biblical Hebrew. Now we forget these things. Tragically, many Americans don't even know it. They hear a phrase and they throw it out. Separation of church and state. But I'm going to read to you something in just a few minutes that will show you that Americans, at least early on, never separated Christianity from their politics. And that comes from a witness from someone who was not an American. But we'll get to that. As a little parenthetical statement, I want to share with you the intent in the founding of this country, where the gospel was situated. Some years ago here, during our Bible studies, I read to you from many, many original constitutions of the states. And so many of them make mention of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm not going down this rabbit trail today of explaining the separation of church and state and how that, we, we've studied that, I've gone over that before. It would take up more time than is allowed for me to do that. But in the New York State Constitution, it's our state, in 1777, in Article 39, there was this provision. I want to read it to you as a parenthetical statement. It says this, and whereas the ministers of the gospel are, this is in the New York State Constitution, the original one, 
And whereas the ministers of the gospel are, by their profession, dedicated to the service of God and the care of souls, and ought not to be diverted from the great duties of their function. It's in our Constitution. Well, it's probably been amended since then. Therefore, no minister of the gospel or priest of any denomination whatsoever shall at any time hereafter, under any presence or description whatever, be eligible to or capable of holding any civil or military office or place within this state. Now you say, oh, well, see, right away they were trying to X out the ministers. No, just the opposite. The view of preaching and teaching the gospel was so high that they had to put it here in New York. It's not an amendment, it's not a codicil, it's part of the Constitution. They had to say, now, we don't want you in politics because what you're doing is way too important. I had a conversation with a man, a friend of mine, served in the military many, many years, and he was very, very politically active. We were on two different galaxies politically, but we were friends. He got peeved at me one day, and he says, you should be in politics. My response was, I have a job. No, you should be involved, and he went on and on. I said, you're wrong. What I'm doing is more important and groveling with these so-called politicians, many of whom, I'll be honest with you and blunt, I just look at them the same way I do as a prostitute. Well, I mean, it is the time for truth. They want power and they want their dinners and they want their banquets, but they don't want to do the right thing before God. The minister has the most important job in the world, more so than the president of the United States. Because what I'm preaching and ministers like me are preaching is the eternity of where you're going to spend, your soul is going to spend. And has a direct correlation to this land that we live in, in any land where the gospel is preached. That's just a parenthetical statement to show you that the early founders of the states of the United States and colonies and so forth, which we've studied that in depth in times past. They had a very high view of the gospel, higher than its politics. Yet, they couldn't separate the politics because it's part of our morality. B.J. Lossing wrote a book on the biographies of the men who signed the Declaration of Independence. It was a seminal work at the time in 1800s, 1848. And he came up with this conclusion after he wrote the biographies of the 56 men. He identified the signers of the Declaration of Independence as, quote, instruments of providence. Went on to say they have, quote, gone to receive their reward in the spirit land. This was the view in the early part of the founding of America. And so we go from here and we look at America now. We must realize that there was much ambiguity as far as looking at the future of America back in the 18th century. Well, for that matter, back in the 17th century. The world has not changed. Every founder, many of whom, whose names we don't even know because we never hear about them. That's a shame. There were more founders than just Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams alone, James Madison. There were more founders than that. We should know something about them. We have to realize, since God has not changed and Satan has not changed and man has not changed, that we're in a position right now that we must do something in the name of Jesus Christ. With time permitting, we'll see, to go into this near the end of the message, we're in a cancel culture. But here's the thing, in my mind at least, I won't speak for anybody else, they're not going to cancel me. I'm canceling them. <coughs> to quote from history, Patrick Henry, I don't know what others will do. I really don't. I just know that no one's canceling this message. 
No one's canceling me. Look, I'm going to say something here again. It's parenthetical. 4,000 friends I have on Facebook. We get 50 views. I think someone's trying to cancel us. I want to exhort those of you that are watching to share this message. Because we know, we already know, and I've experienced it, and many have experienced it. If you're conservative in your politics, if you're Christian, you're pushed off into the margin. Nobody knows you're even around. For a time, we're going to have to bite this bullet because it is what it is until we turn it around. They will not cancel the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why. The wrath of man will eventually be a praise to God. And the rest, God will restrain it. Don't be moved by what you see. Don't be moved by these people trying to destroy our country. The Bible says the wrath of man will eventually lead to the praise of Almighty God. And whatever is unnecessary to that praise, God will restrain it. Because man is limited in what he can do. But God is not limited at all. Not at all. And so I have a bit of reading here to do, and I, I want you to pay strict attention. I will accent the parts that are really germane and important to this message. But over the years, I've quoted frequently from Alexis de Tocqueville. You see, he was not an American. He was a Frenchman. He came here to study our prison system, but he got caught up with how the government and Americans work, 1840. And I want to read to you so that we can put away any doubt about the state of Americans and their position with the gospel of Jesus Christ and politics from his work, Democracy in America. And one word about that, great work. It has been said by one modern historian, and I quote, Democracy in America is, quote, perhaps the greatest commentary ever written about any culture by any person at any time. But what is important for us to know here on this 4th of July? Uh, Several things, let me read them to you. De Tocqueville wrote, as he observed Americans, 1840, he said that religion in America takes no direct part in the government of society, but it must nevertheless be regarded as the foremost of the political institutions of that country. For if it does not impart a taste for freedom, it facilitates the use of free institutions. Indeed, it is in the same point of view that the inhabitants of the United States themselves look upon religious belief, which in 1840 meant Christianity. I do not know whether all the Americans have a sincere faith in their religion, for who can search the human heart? But I'm certain that they hold it to be indispensable to the maintenance of Republican institutions. Just want to mention, we are a republic. The opinion he went on to write is not peculiar to a class of citizens, one group, or to a party, another group, but it belongs to the whole nation and to every rank of society in the United States. If a political character attacks a sect, this may not prevent even the partisans of that very sect from supporting him, but if he attacks all the sects together, meaning Christianity, everyone abandons him and he remains alone. Whilst I was in America, this is here in New York, and worthy of notation. Whilst I was in America, a witness who happened to be called to the assizes of the country of Chester, state of New York, declared that he did not believe in the existence of God or in the immortality of the soul. The judge refused to admit his evidence on the ground that the witness had destroyed beforehand all the confidence of the court in what he was about to say. He wrote the newspapers related the fact without any further comment. The New York Spectator, April the 23rd, 1831, 
Quote, the Court of Common Pleas of Chester County, New York, a few days since rejected a witness who declared his disbelief in the existence of God. The presiding judge remarked that he had not before been aware that there was a man living who did not believe in the existence of God. That this belief constituted the sanction of all testimony in a court of justice that he knew of no cause in the Christian country. What kind of country? Doesn't mean our country was designed to be a covenant nation, as some declare. I don't believe that. The fact that the founders were Christians and introduced their beliefs into this system is absolutely without question to a mind that is not prejudiced to the cause. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. You may even set out to destroy it. But the facts are the facts. There's much to learn about this. And so he goes on to write. So the judge throws out this man, doesn't even allow him in the court of law, says, you don't believe in God, we can't believe anything you say. That's what he was saying. We can't believe a word of your testimony, you don't even think there's a God. And the judge says, I'm not even aware there was somebody that doesn't believe in a God. Well, if we were time travelers, we could bring the judge here, he would be in total disbelief. Listen here, very carefully. This is a Frenchman observing Americans. The Americans combine the notions of Christianity and of liberty so intimately in their minds that it is impossible to make them conceive the one without the other. He said here, and with them this conviction does not spring from that barren, traditionary faith which seems to vegetate in the soul rather than to live. I have known of societies formed by the Americans to send out ministers of the gospel into the new western states to found schools and churches there, lest religion should be suffered to die away in those remote settlements and the rising states to be less fitted to enjoy free institutions than the people from which they emanated. I met with wealthy New Englanders who abandoned the country in which they were born, wealthy people, in order to lay the foundations of Christianity and of freedom on the banks of the Missouri or in the prairies of Illinois. Thus, religious zeal is perpetually stimulated in the United States by the duty, listen, by the duties of patriotism. Yes. Yes. Let me read that again. He says, thus, religious zeal is perpetually stimulated in the United States by the duties of patriotism. These men do not act from an exclusive consideration of the promises of a future life. Eternity is only one motive of their devotion to the cause. And if you converse with these missionaries of Christian civilization, you will be surprised to find how much value they set upon the goods of this world. That doesn't mean prosperity gospel. People say, yeah, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Who was more heavenly minded than Jesus and more of good to this earth than Jesus? When you have your priorities straight, you're good for both worlds. And that's what the founders, that's what these people believed when they came here. They said, look, if Christianity disappears, so will liberty and freedom. And you know what? That's exactly what's happening right now. That's exactly what's happening right now. You would be surprised again to find how much value they set upon the goods of this world. And that you will meet with, listen, this is profound. You will be surprised to find how much value they set upon the goods of this world. And that you meet with a politician where you expected to find a priest. A clergyman. You thought he was just a clergyman. I met two young men at the range, and uh, we got talking. I said, well, I'm a preacher. And they were astonished. A preacher who believes in the Second Amendment? I said, yeah, what'd you expect? I'm an American. They were astonished. Why? Because they're young. They were maybe in their 30s, both police officers. They were astonished. And I said, why are you astonished? This is part 
of our heritage. The Second Amendment, First Amendment too. But without Christ, these amendments will be amended again. And not in our favor. The church better wake up. Everybody else is woke. Let's understand that if we don't do something, the culture will be canceled. Just like we read these Orwellian statements in books like 1984, thrown down a memory hole, which isn't a memory hole, it was a disintegrator. History was what the government told people in Orwell's 1984. History is what we tell you history is. But I say no. Because of God's mercy and his providence and his sovereignty, you will never cancel us. Never. Do what you want. You will not cancel us because God will raise up another in another place. And he'll raise up an Esther. He'll raise up a David. Because God is God. And this nation, I believe, is worth protecting. Not just with arms, but with the gospel of Jesus Christ. De Tocqueville went on to say this. All the American republics. There's that word again. All the American republics are collectively involved with each other. The states. If the republics of the West were to fall into anarchy or to be mastered by a despot, the republican institutions which now flourish upon the shores of the Atlantic Ocean would be in great peril. We may say it this way. Well, I care what's going on in Oregon. If one falls, just like dominoes, they all start to fall. We see one bad decision made in the court, let's say, in Arizona. Well, I say, well, that's Arizona. Before you know it, a couple of years later, it's here in New York, it's in New Jersey, it's everywhere. It's a cancer that spreads. And we must hold the ground. No, no, no. We must take the ground. Amen. We must go forward. We must be faithful and go forward. There will be resistance. Expect it. But when you show up, even if you're all alone, you don't give up the ground. And more than that, you say, I'm taking the ground. You're not canceling me. Reminds me of that movie Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, about the witness protection program. You have been erased. But you know what? The only one that can erase your name out of the book of life is God himself. <laughs> Not some techie who's working for some megalomaniac in the tech industry who decides they're to cancel out people. Cancel out the president of the United States, former president of the United States, for two years, because I said so. You know what? It's going to start to go in reverse. You can count on it, because the wrath of man will eventually praise God. And the rest, he's going to restrain it. Sometimes, sometimes you have to just simply get sick and tired of all the nonsense, of all the excuses, of all the compromise in people who profess that they know Christ. And we need just a few. Isn't that what the Marines say? They're looking for a few good men? Well, women, whoever. They're looking for a few because Napoleon found out what he could do with a few soldiers if they attacked swiftly and upon the enemy's weakness. In the siege of France, siege of Paris, 1885, 30,000 Vikings were held off by 300 knights. Oh, we need numbers. We need mega churches. No, we don't. We need God in a few individuals filled with the Holy Spirit. As the book says, one of you will chase a thousand. Two of you will put 10,000 to flight. Cancel us? I don't think you're going to cancel us. I know you're not going to cancel us. We will be still standing. We will be still standing. 
finally, it is therefore our interest that the new state should be religious. He's talking to an American. This is an American's statement. It is therefore in our interest that the new states should be religious. Uh, what about the separation of church and state? You heard that from your teacher, who heard that from a teacher, who probably was raised in the 60s when they first started burning an American flag in 1969, and it began in Central Park as a protest to the Vietnam War. Before that, it was a criminal offense to desecrate an American flag. But introducing drugs and sex and rock and roll and whatever else came our way in the 60s, for those of us who grew up in it, came the falling down of our institutions. And the pastors don't wake up and start realizing that all of this placating is not helping, but hurting the cause. Preach the gospel. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And that's what we need. You say, oh, no, we need 30,000. The Vikings had 30,000. They couldn't take Paris for 300 men. It's much like the Battle of Thermopylae with the Spartans. Now, the Spartans lost. Persia never took over the Greek nation, or at least not permanently, because 300 brave men, <laughs> that's a great story. It says, we have so many arrows and so many men here, it will make the day look like night. Spartan says, then we'll fight in the dark. Just hand your weapons over. Then we have Malan Labay. Come and take them. Well, they lost, but they spared Greece. 300 men, 300 Spartans. 300 knights in Paris stopped 30,000 Vikings. They kept saying, we're here, pay us tribute. They said, I don't think so. You want a French fry? We're not doing it. And it's amazing that God would even say through the prophet Isaiah, I sought for a man. How many? One. One. I sought for a man, but he didn't, in that period didn't find any. God, please find some in this time. Men who don't care about men, men who are not filled with the fear of man, men who are not, uh, I said men, women too, who are not afraid to stand up against oppression and say, no, this is wrong inside the church. It's wrong. It's wrong. And so that's just a little clue about politics. The title of the message, Politics, Piety, and the Future of America. I do believe America is very important and critical to the plan of God. I believe in American exceptionalism, but not as some define it. I don't believe it's our obligation to go all around the world and take over nations. But I do believe America is exceptional in this respect. I do not believe it's a covenant nation like Israel is a covenant nation. I do believe God selected this land to be a nation that would institute freedom, but not just freedom, but the liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach the world so he fulfills his plan for the ages. So let's talk about piety. I want to read to you quotations from the first three presidents alone. Because, you know, to really do this subject justice, we'd have to have a seminar. We'd have to be here for like minimum three days and eight hours a day to even give you a clue of all the things that are written by men who went before us in the 18th century, 19th century, and even into the 20th century. Now, I just say this as an aside, and I'm not even saying that you should do it. I'm just telling you what I do. I rarely ever read a modern book written by a Christian. A, I like to read books by people that are dead because there is no chance for them to taint their testimony because they're dead. Number two, I have a personal belief that people who lived before us were actually smarter. Not because they were innately smarter, but because they didn't have the distractions. How many times have you watched somebody you're talking to, the phone rings, you no more conversation. Or always like this, every email, every text. See, I don't do that, I told you that. My phone is always muted. You see, I, I don't let this thing disturb me. 
I'm not letting the technology dominate me, so I'm addicted to it. But I use that technology to do the work of God and for my own pleasure and my own leisure. On piety, I just want to read three American presidents, the first three. What do they have to say on this subject? George Washington, in the writings of Washington, wrote these words. While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion, the higher duties, higher. New York State Constitution, 1777, Article 39, higher. Inattentive to the higher duties of religion, to the distinguished character of patriot, it should be our highest glory to add more distinguished, more distinguished character of Christian. John Adams, the second president, in his diary and autobiography, suppose a nation in some distant region should take the Bible for their only law book, and every member should regulate his conduct by the precepts there exhibited. Every member would be obliged in conscience to temperance, frugality, and industry, justice, kindness, and charity towards his fellow men, and to piety, love, and reverence toward Almighty God. What a utopia, what a paradise would this region be. He wrote again, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence. There was a war for that. You aware of that? Yeah, there was a war. And he says, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence. This is the second president of the United States. Now he'd be banned on Facebook. The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the only principles in which that beautiful assembly of young gentlemen could unite. And these principles could be intended by them in their address or by me in my answer. And what were these general principles? President of the United States, this is John Adams. I answered the general principles of Christianity in which all these sects were united and the general principles of English and American liberty. Lastly, he wrote in a letter to Thomas Jefferson, now I will avow that I then believe and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God and that those principles of liberty are as unalterable as human nature and our terrestrial mundane system. Washington, Adams. Let's look at Thomas Jefferson. He wrote, God who gave us life, God, wait a minute, wait, this is Thomas Jefferson. Wasn't he the one that just insisted on the separation of church and state? Now I've got to mention something about that. You look it up, you Google it, and find out that that was one letter that he wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association, assuring them that the government would not interfere with their profession of Christianity and their practice of it. That's it. And he wrote these words. God, who gave us life, gave us liberty. And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are a gift of God. There he goes with the God word again. This is Thomas Jefferson. I thought he was one of the crooks. Listen, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Now, for those of us who know our history, I know some of you do, we could debate this statement, but it is one made by Jefferson based on his view of the Bible and some of the doctrines. But he did say, I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. He had some views that we wouldn't agree with, but that's not on the table for the moment. The fact that he believed he was a Christian is what is important for us to know. Those are the first three presidents. 
And we can go on and on and on and on in almost every direction in this age, this particular time period, the 18th century, then the 19th century. It begins to change in the 20th century. Not so much the early part either, but as we move along, drifting, as it were, from God. And as we drifted from God, then one day in the early 1960s, we said to God, in a court of law, you'll not be in our schools. And the judges said, and they set a precedent. And now, in a time when you could actually not only walk through a door, you could walk to school without fear of your child being molested or kidnapped or shot. Now we have our children going through metal detectors and all of the rest and the great tragedies that has come on America. Because we not only drifted from God, that was first. And I always lay the blame at the feet of the preachers. Because my job is to preach the truth in season, out of season, and so on. That's my job. And once we started to drift, then people said, we don't want God, we don't need God. And every time you take out a dollar bill, it says, in God, we trust. It's a national model. God bless America. And all these hymns, songs. Point being on piety, our founders, and of course many others knew, not only here in America, but across the seas, that without piety, without holiness, there is, and Washington made mention of this, by the way, in his farewell address from the presidency, that if we remove these things, there is no more guarantee. Last night for the second time, I see a helicopter going around my property. This is upstate New York, folks. I wasn't born here. I was used to that growing up in South Yonkers, Bronx. My house sat Yonkers, Bronx, right here. That was par for the course bat down there, but that don't happen here. But it's happening now. Why? Because this is spreading like a cancer. What happened? I don't know. Two weeks ago, someone was shot. Last year, someone was shot and killed. Here. And what shall we do? Sit back. It's all about me. Yeah, I got some news for you. If it's all about you, you're going to take the rest of us down with you. And that ain't happening either. Not happening on my watch. We'll not be canceled by anybody. God is our stay. God is our firm support. We have to look to him. On piety, what I want to say is this, and I said it earlier in a different fashion or form. Where does it really begin? With no disrespect to the elders that are sitting here, it does not start with a board meeting. Have any of you been in a church and sat on a board? Have you? Well, he has, evidently. Wasn't that fun? I used to have a knot in my stomach every time we had an annual business meeting because all the good people kept saying, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm not going. And all the other people would say, I'll be there. All this talk about prayer, where's the prayer now? All this talk about glory to God and I'll lift Jesus higher. Where is it now? As I watched in one board meeting, uh, no, one business meeting, annual business meeting in the church, the pastor who was just a good guy, stood there as the deacon and a Sunday school teacher whipped him apart. Just whipped him apart. He wanted to hire another minister because he needed one. And one guy stood up and said, well, this is stupid. And he just whipped the pastor down. That was the song leader. Then the Sunday school teacher stood up and he ripped him down. One was teaching Sunday school. One was leading from the pulpit. And back here, my wife and I, two new converts, well, fairly new converts, a couple years in the Lord. And finally I stood up. And I said, this is something to see. You see, unlike some, I can't stay silent when I see what's wrong. Well, you know, I just don't want to say nothing. But because you're not saying anything, we have the situation that we have. Because you're hiding in the corner or, or sleeping in the basement in the dark like a spider, we have what we have. It's time to stand up. It's time to speak. Oh, not arrogantly and not rudely and not imposing on everybody, but it's time to stand and take the ground. So the preacher's torn down in the pulpit by a deacon, 
And by the Sunday school teacher, and I stood up and said, this is an amazing thing. A little while ago, if you've never heard the song, there's a little chorus that goes like this. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Sometimes that song comes back to me, and as I'm singing it, in my head I'm singing it, I'm picturing the fights I've seen. I told you about watching a trustee slapped in a business meeting. People outside ready to fight. I'm just standing here with my guitar. I'm in awe. I just came from that. I don't want to fight. I want to sing and play my guitar. You want to fight? The guy asked me, did I want to fight? Inside, I'm saying, you have no idea. You have no stinking idea. Six foot two, six foot three. It means nothing to me. Amen. Nothing. Right. Zero. Yeah. But composure in the Holy Spirit says, well, don't move on that. <laughs> we'll see you. I went home. <laughs> my wife was sitting there. She said, I look pale. I guess I was pale. So what happened? I said, you know what? Just put it on a pot of coffee because there's going to be people coming. And they did. They were crying, young people. What a pity. Oh, yeah, it's Satan. Okay, like, we're going to be like Flip Wilson. The devil made me do it. Maybe he did, but God holds us responsible. Well, I was just accenting the pleasures of board meetings and business meetings in the modern church. After a prayer meeting. Oh, let me add one more thing. Speaking in tongues. The Lord says this, and then go downstairs or outside or in the foyer. Minutes later, talking like that, da, 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 about your neighbor. This is how I began to reason my way through it. So it can't be the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't operate like that. Hmm. Piety. We need personal piety. And it can't begin with a board meeting or a business meeting. How many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you at this business meeting say, we need the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know, Pastor. I'm in agreement. Let me talk to my family. I'll tell you about when I send my tithe in. Keep it. We need the Holy Spirit. It begins with one person by one person by one person by one person that says, like Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Thankfully, there's more than one. But you have to act in your life as though you're the only one. I know that there's many good, dedicated people right here. I know you pray for me. I can feel it. And believe me, I need it. However, in my mind, I conduct myself as though I am the only one. I know I'm not, but I think to myself as though I were and conduct myself to say, this is exactly what I prayed to God last night. It doesn't matter to me what everybody else does. I know what I must do. Amen. So let me go to this last point. You need to pursue personal holiness, personal piety, and not regard what everybody else is doing, just you do it. And in the course of time, by the blessing and mercy of God, which we prayed for and sang about earlier, God will give us many. 50 intercessors here at 930. To me, it's modest. I mean, there's 7.7 .7 billion people on the earth. I just want 50. I want more than 50, but I set 50 as a mark. And they're going to come. You know how they're going to come? Because God's going to send them. God's going to send them. I'm not sending out a text. I'm begging. Can you please come and pray? If you can't see the forest for the trees, then stay home. But anyway, personal piety begins with you. Don't look around. Begins with you. What are you going to do? Oh, so let me talk to my wife about it. Mm, no, no, no. Personal piety. Well, let me ask my husband. Well, let me see what my kids think about it. Seriously? They're going to say, oh, yeah, be holy and discipline us and make us toe the line. Do you think so? And do you think that maybe that's why Jesus said, whoever loves their father, their mother, their children, or anybody more than me is not worthy of me? Was he being mean and austere? No, he was being practical. Once we put anything, anyone, in front of God, we lose the whole thing. Amen. On the future of America, this has always been a somewhat chilling statement that came from Benjamin Franklin. 
It's the last day of the Constitutional Convention. The, the War of Independence is over. We won. Now we have no real order because we're not under Great Britain anymore. It's 11 years after the War of Independence, I mean, with the start of the War of Independence, 4th of July, and we got to figure out how we're going to operate ourselves here. So John Witherspoon, who helped draft the Articles of Confederation, is there saying we need to ratify this Constitution. And finally, after days of rancor, trying to hammer out the laws of the land, general principles, Benjamin Franklin makes this statement that in my mind was much like the statement of Ananias speaking about Jesus. He says, don't you understand anything? It's more expedient that one man dies for the nation than that we all die. And he, that's not what he meant. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was using him because he was the high priest and he was speaking prophetically. Meaning that people can say things, not intending to say them, and God just moves through them. And you know why? Because he's God. Amen. Behold, he says in Ezekiel, all souls are mine. Listen to what Benjamin Franklin said, because his remarks are a bit chilling. On the last day of the convention, says this. In these sentiments, sir, I agree to this Constitution with all its faults, if they are such. Because I think a general government necessary for us, and there is no form of government but what may be a blessing to the people if well administered. And I believe, Father, that this is likely to be well administered for a course of years and can only end in despotism as other forms have done before it, when the people shall become so corrupted as to need despotic government being incapable of any other. I ask you, you want to live under a despot? I've never lived under a despot until recently. Do you want to live under a benevolent dictator? One who has your interest in mind? Or do we want to live free? Then we're going to have to pay the price, which means we're going to have to follow Jesus Christ. And we cannot have a yellow stripe painted down our back saying, or I'd, I know for certain, they would brand a coward in the American Civil War with the C. Oddly enough, it would be the young rudimental drummer would take the gunpowder and put it in the sea. It was a permanent mark. It was a disgrace for a man to run from a fight. But I mean, an important fight. It's not a disgrace to turn fights down when there's no purpose in it and nothing to gain or pride is involved. But we cannot be found in this hour to be cowards. I don't want to give all the sisters here an accolade. I generally find women to be more brave than men. That's the truth. And your hairy chest and all, I mean the men. Your hairy chest, <laughs> <laughs> your hairy chest and all that there, just look at me, uh, yeah, you're the high cockalorum. And it's your wife out there doing the fighting. You think I'm kidding? Okay, I'm not. I've watched when I was in New York, big guys go to court. Got shotguns and knives, they're in a court of law because I was there. You're in a court of law, and the judge is about to sentence them. They're crying. Judge, I can't see me to Britain. I got kids. And the women are flipping the judge off. I don't give a about you. Do what you want. Put me in jail. I said, you know what? I couldn't endorse what they were doing, but I saying, that's bravery. He said, do what you want, judge. Well, that's the one that gave birth to the baby. I'll be back, hon. And the Spartans, by the way, they were the ones, when they sent their sons off to war, made this statement to their sons. They said, there's only one or two ways you come back. You come back with your shield in victory. We come laying on top of it. And that was the mothers. Ladies, I give you credit. I really do. Men talk a lot of times. When the guy came and scorched our arborvitaes, he was supposed to be using weed and feed. It looked like he used a World War II flamethrower. Whoa. I was trying to like chill. Not my wife. Male or female, we need everyone now to pursue personal piety. To stop grousing and just do something. Pray. Read the word. 
You don't have to get up on your desk and shout to all your co-workers that you're a Christian. You live it out little by little, day by day. They'll recognize it. I had a guy tell me once, in the gym, there's something different about you. What is it? He was a Mormon. I told him. Oh, I listened to you on the radio, he said. I said, good. And we became friends because he had respect for me. And that's what we want. Very quickly, and I'll finish. Cancel culture. What is it? Well, in its loosest definition, I guess, Webster's definition, the practice or tendency of engaging in mass counseling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. Well, to some degree, it's working, huh? I'm not into technology. You better be. And you don't have to even go get a smartphone. But you better be concerned about what's happening and stop walking away and putting your head in the sand. And, again, oddly enough, it's psychology today. It has numerous articles on cancel culture. They're not for it. Psychology today. You read it? I don't. But you know what? The wrath of man shall praise God. Amen. God uses, well, when he can't find his own servants to do his bidding, then he has to find somebody else. Anyway, I like what this guy said, Lee Justin, he's a PhD. His article, you should read it. I'm only going to quote just a little bit of it. It's called 10 Ways to Defend Against a Cancellation Attack. And he wrote these words. The mob is denouncing you, demanding you be punished. Remember, this is an article in Psychology Today, not Christianity Today. The mob is denouncing you, demanding you be punished. Now what? The self-righteous and self-appointed, grim-faced commissars of cancel culture. The everything is racist, sexist, bigoted, silence is violence, but looting is protest. Free speech for me, but not for thee, offended trons are coming to you. The psychologist writing that, not a preacher. They are probably denouncing you on social media or writing nasty emails about you to your boss, implying or outright demanding that you be fired or punished. It might even be your colleagues and coworkers, or for academics, your own students denouncing you. Read the article, 10 Ways to Defend Against a Cancellation Attack. Lee Jussum, Jussum, PhD. He's got some good suggestions. The good news and the encouraging news is that no matter what man does, they cannot cancel God's church, Christ's church. Cannot happen. However, we shall be held personally responsible for what we have done with the gospel or have not done with the gospel. So let me just say this to you. In Psalm 33, verse 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. That's Israel, of course. But I do believe America plays a very peculiar part in the overall plan of God as we study our history. And as I mentioned earlier, in history whether it was Napoleon or the Parisians in the siege of Paris, 885 to 886, the Spartans at Thermopylae, and there's other examples. King Pyrrhus, he beat the Roman army. Now, he sustained tremendous casualties. But who beats the Roman army? King Pyrrhus did it because they refused to give up, like the Spartans, like the Parisians, and many others. We must understand the dominion of providence, God's providence, is greater than the passions of men. It's greater than the sin of man. It's greater than the things that we're up against now. If God would visit us one more time and grant us a third great awakening so that people, and it's very odd because I have it on my handle on one of my social media accounts, third great awakening. I never knew that they were already using that for a different purpose. I'm not talking about being woke. I'm not talking about pulling down statues of people that you don't even know anything about. I'm talking about an awakening in the spirit where men and women come to see that only the Holy Spirit can do this, to see their need for Jesus Christ. Amen. That will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, And then everything we need in this world will be added to us. And in the end, eternity. And for me, what is most important, Ellis Sturger 
Hooper. I slept and dreamt that life was beauty. I awoke and found that life was duty. That says it for me. There's a lot of beauty in the world, don't get me wrong, but that will all be taken away if we don't do our duty. Let's bow our hearts and bow our heads. If others don't, say to yourself, I will. No one else is going, I'm going. But thankfully, we're not alone, and we know that. But I can say this, the herd is thinning out. Let's re-sign ourselves to commitment to Jesus Christ. You already know by experience it's getting difficult. Stress is building. The attacks are coming. Count on it. We can't change that. This is a war. Father God, we come to you today. I can't say I don't know the hearts of men. I only know my own heart. We're not going to stand idly by and watch somebody try to cancel us. It's stupid. As even a friend of mine wrote to me and said, what's going on there? I don't like this cancel culture. I don't like it either. But, God, we know no one's going to cancel your church or your word. No one. But we must decide what we're going to do with it. Fill us with your spirit. Help us, O oh God. And again, you know the hearts of the people who are praying in sincerity. Only you know that. Here am I, Lord. Send me. And God, help us. Strengthen us. Fill us. Cause us to be what we need to be in this hour. Oh, God, we bless you and praise you. For the wrath of man shall praise you. And the remainder of wrath, you will restrain it. Man is bound. Even Satan is bound. But you are not because you're God. And we bless you. And we praise you. And we thank you today. But help us, Lord, because we need your help. We're not claiming that our brilliance is going to help us. We need the movement of your spirit. Today here in this place, we unite ourselves. Whoever's watching by live streaming, those especially that watch every week, unite with us on the radio, same thing. And we can work together. For the glory of God and the preservation of the lives of our children and our grandchildren, and in some cases our great-grandchildren, God help us, because we need your help. And we're asking you, God, even as we sang it, God bless America, help us. Intervene. We ask these things today, Father. In Jesus' name. Can you all say amen? Amen. Amen. amen.